All right, Harvest Muskoka, Harvest Prairie Sound, why don't you go ahead and grab your Bibles and turn to Galatians chapter 4. Galatians chapter 4. If you don't have a Bible on you this morning, if you throw your hand up, we'd love to get a Bible into your hands. If you didn't bring a Bible or you forgot your Bible, if you don't own a Bible, for sure get a hand up so that one of these ushers can get you a Bible. You take it home as our gift to you. Grab a copy of God's Word. Open up to Galatians chapter 4. <clears throat> We're going to be in verses 8 to 20 this morning as we track through this book of Galatians, this letter to the Galatian church. As you're turning to chapter 4 there, I was thinking if you're on social media at all, you understand what, what the hashtag, or hashtag, wow, I don't know what hashtag is, but... <clears throat> TBT, Throwback Thursday. Have you ever seen that? The Throwback Thursday. And, and every Thursday, people will, not every time, but people throw up a picture of, hey, remember when I was here? Hey, here's something that I was doing way back then. And, and for some people, there's this feeling of nostalgia when they put those up there. Man, those are my glory years. I want to show this picture of where I was here and, and some others. Maybe you look back on your past. And you look back on some of those years and you're thinking, man, I do not want Doc and Marty to stop the DeLorean at this time period, all right? I'm not, like, put, put away the flux capacitor. I'm not going there. Those, those, that time period, Back to the Future, people, it was a movie, right? That, that time period. <laughs> and maybe that's for you. Like, I think, man, junior high, I don't want to go back there. It's good times, but it's just not the time that I want to go back to it. And Paul here in the Galatian church He's saying to the Galatians, hey, hey, there's a place that, that, that I, you don't want to go back to. You've left this place. Don't go back to where you were. In fact, look at verse 8. He says, formerly when you did not know God, you were enslaved to those that by nature are not God's. But now that you've come to know God, or rather to be known by God, how can you turn back again to the weak and worthless elementary principles of the world, whose slaves you want to be once more? You observe days and months and seasons and years. I'm afraid I've labored over you in vain. And Paul's writing this letter to a group of, of Greek Christians, those who have come to know Christ, and, and they've given their whole life to Christ, to follow Christ, and now preachers had come in, and these preachers had come in and said, hey, hey, Jesus is great, and you need Jesus, but if you really want to live a great life, you need more than Jesus. And Paul says, hey, if you start living that way, if you start living as though Jesus isn't enough, like you need more, you're heading back to a place that you left and you don't want to go there. Here's what he's saying. He's saying this. This is going to be the, the basic theme of this entire sermon. It's going to be this. You're free. Don't go back to slavery. You're free. Don't go back to slavery. He says you, you are enslaved. In fact, he says you are enslaved to these non-gods. By nature, they're not even gods. He says, why would you go back to following something that isn't even a god? In fact, you're not just going back to it. You're being enslaved by it. You're being enslaved by these, he calls them worthless, weak, elementary principles of the world. When he says the elementary principles, it's like saying this, in Greek philosophy, there were, there were these basic elements that drove everything. Earth, fire, air, water. And behind all of the elements, there were gods who were, who were behind those elements making things happen. So, so if you were a farmer, you would worship the god of the earth. Or maybe the weather god. 
Right? If, 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 if you were in business, you'd worship a God of finance. If you, if you wanted kids, you'd worship the God of fertility. If you were a soldier, you would worship the God of war. And Paul says, this is where you came from. This is what you guys used to do. You worship these so-called gods. You were enslaved to them. When he says you're enslaved, you're enslaved this way. Every day you lived your life, you were looking for ways to try to, to, try to appease these unstable gods. To, to try to gain approval from capricious gods. You were not free. And he says, why would you ever want to go back there? It's funny, but Paul says in verse 10, he talks about observing days and months and seasons and years. And, and he's talking about, hey, you guys want to join up with this, this whole Jewish law thing and the, all these customs of following these certain days. And, and he's saying, hey, hey, it, you want to follow the new Jewish thing? He goes, it's the exact same thing as you just left. You left all these Greek gods, and now you want to jump in on these religious duties that are just as worthless because you're trying to gain God's approval through what you do. Don't you understand you found freedom in Jesus Christ and what he's done, not what you do, what he did for you. You've embraced that. You found freedom. Why are you moving back into the slavery of religion again? If you jump back into that religion, it's just the same as worshiping Zeus and Hercules and Aphrodite. And, and all you're doing is you're slapping a Jewish name on it now. And listen, Paul would say the same thing to us today he would say, listen, you go to church every Sunday, you sing your songs, you pray your prayers, you serve, you go through all of these motions thinking that by doing these things, you have favor before God. God now accepts you because you're living such a religious life. And, and they were checking off little boxes of spirituality. As long as your, your faith, as long as what you would call your religion is based on the rituals that you follow, the, the routines you have to go through, you're no different from any other pagan religion in the world. And listen, it's so important to get this, what Paul's been hammering all through this letter. He's been saying this over and over again. You're not slaves to religion anymore. You are sons and daughters in a relationship with God, your Father. And it changes everything. And he says, you're known by God. You don't check off a box on Sunday morning. You don't, you don't go by and check off, I did my Bible reading today. Oh, I prayed, check. Oh, I'm serving, check. I've got all my gold star stickers next to all the things I need to do, all the religious duties. That's not Christianity. What's he say in verse 9? But now that you have come to know God, or rather to be known by God, Notice what Paul says. He doesn't say, hey, hey, now that you've found religion, a better religion, hey, 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 before you, before you came to church or before you started reading your Bible, before you started praying or no, he said, before you didn't know God and now you know him. And I love this. Paul says, Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute. It's not that you know God. Even greater than that, God knows you. I mean, this is the momentous shift in your life. This is, this is, if you're a follower of Christ, this is the hinge on which your whole life turns. That moment where God says, I know you, I chose you, I love you. And you went from somebody who, who didn't know God to being a child of God, known by God. 
You think about there, there are a lot of people, how cool it would be to be known by them, right? You can think of like, like famous people. Wouldn't it be cool if the president of the United States knew who you were? Right? Oh, yeah, Kai, I know him. Yeah. Oh, thanks, Obama, right? Or, or maybe, maybe politics or anything, maybe famous athletes. I, I've been following the Raptors through their, their playoff run there. Now, how cool it would be to, to go to the stadium and all of a sudden Kyle Lowry, their point guard, walks by the crowd and he gives me the point. Kai, right? And Drake's like, you know Kai too, right? <laughs> so you're like, who is Drake? All right, for you, Gordie Howe and Elvis. Think that, all right? It's like the same thing, okay? Listen, if you've given your life to Christ, if, if you've responded to the gospel, this should blow us away. You are known by God. I mean, this was earth-shattering for these Greek Christians. Nobody talked about God that way. Nobody would say, yeah, yeah, Zeus, him and I go way back. Poseidon, we fish every weekend. Hercules, we lift. Did you even lift, bro? We lift together, right? No, no, you didn't talk that way about God. What makes the gospel good news, it's not that you have a new religious checklist to work your way through. The good news is this, God knows you. And the word here, it's not just like an intellectual, oh yeah, God knows who you are. No, it's, it's not like, oh yeah, I've heard of that person. I know a little bit about you. No, God knows you in Christ personally, intimately. The language he keeps using is you're like a child related to your father and it doesn't get any better than this. I mean, that reality changes how our lives look as Christians. There's a relationship there where you know God and God knows you. I mean, this summer, I'm going to be celebrating 17 years of marriage with my wife, Libby. And, and, and it's been, yeah, right? Thanks. You can clap for her because she deserves more clapping than I would in this one. Um, <clears throat> You know, I'm so thankful for my wife. I'm so thankful for the relationship that we share. Here's the truth. My relationship with her is much more than just check boxes. All right, now listen. Is there a list on our fridge with a list of things that she wants me to do? I don't know. Probably I've heard her talk about it. Right? No, I'm kidding. I'm just kidding. That was awful. She's, she's not here in the first service, so I can get away with this. Uh, Listen, there are some things, yes, there would be some check, things that she'd want me to do, but, but when I come home from work, I don't think, okay, kiss Libby, check. Oh, okay, get involved with my three daughters, check. Okay, serve Libby now, check. Oh, anniversary coming up, get something, check. It's not a relationship of love, if that's what it is. Now, I also don't think this, I don't think, hey, 17 years ago, I nailed it at the wedding when I said I do. Like, I said it so well, so now I don't really need to worry about putting any effort into this because the wedding happened. Now, I'll just do whatever I want when I come home. I'll do whatever I want when I see her. I don't need to, no, no, not a great plan if you want a joyful, close, intimate relationship. Why would I give my wife a kiss because I love her? Why would I serve her and my girls because I love them? I want to bless her. I want to help her. I want to serve her because I'm in a relationship with her. And I don't say, hey, that wedding thing happened 17 years ago. It was solid. It was legal. So I don't need to do anything anymore. No, marriage is work. Marriage is work. 
Now, don't amen too loudly next to your spouse when I say that, right? But you would say amen to that, would you not? That there's work to it, but it's a work of love. And, and isn't there such a, a, a neat small picture of something even greater than that, that we have a relationship with the God of the universe? And the last thing I would ever want to do is to say, well, you know what? I prayed this prayer a long time ago, so I'm in. I don't have to worry about working on this relationship with God anymore. Absolutely not. In the same way, we would never say, well, I got to figure out what check boxes I need to check off in order to please God so I can be right before God and, and, and I want to be a good say That'll make for a good relationship. Absolutely not. I mean, let, let's leave those behind. Loved ones, let, let, let's, let's leave that behind. We're not going back there. We're moving beyond the impersonal. We want to walk in the joy and the freedom of what? A relationship with our Heavenly Father. A God who knows you, a God who chose you. And we're going to spend eternity trying to get our minds wrapped around how would God take these broken, bruised, sinful slaves and adopt them and change us into sons. It's going to take eternity for us to figure that out. It's mind-blowing how it happens. It's so difficult to understand, but, but here's something even more difficult to understand that Paul's laying out for us. How a son or a daughter would choose to go back into slavery. In fact, John Newton, the author of, of the hymn Amazing Grace, he was orphaned at seven. By 11, he was on uh, uh, the sea as a sailor. And while he was on the sea, he became involved in the, in, in the humane African slave trade. And, and because he started at such a young age, he, his life went, went deeper and deeper into debauchery. He, he outdid everybody else around him and how deeply into debauchery that he lived. So by, but by age 23, a storm came. And John Newton called out in the midst of that storm. He, he called out, God, have mercy on me. Save me from this. God didn't just save him from the storm on the outside. God saved him from the storm that was in his soul. And John Newton gave his life to Christ as a 23-year-old. And he never, ever, ever wanted to forget where he had come from. And so he took the verse Deuteronomy 15, 15 and inscribed it on his mantle. And it says this, you shall remember that you were once a slave in Egypt and the Lord your God redeemed you. You see, what happened is the Galatian church forgot that they'd been rescued, forgot what they'd been rescued from, and Paul says, don't go back there. You're free. Don't go back to being slaves in religion. You're free. You're in relationship with God. You've been set free and now adopted into his family. Why? Why would you ever go back to slavery again? Paul's so distraught. He says in verse 11, I'm afraid I may have labored over you in vain. He says, I'm afraid that all the gospel work I poured in, all the work that the guy to the place where you knew that when you stood before a holy God, you weren't going to try to bring all these great things that you've accomplished. Well, God, I did this, I did this, I did this. No, you would stand before a holy God and you would point to Jesus and say, I have his righteousness. He lived the perfect life I could never live. He died in my place. I should be dead. I shouldn't be standing before you, a holy God, but Christ stood in my place, and he rose again, and he conquered sin and death so that now I've been made righteous. I've been made right. And, and Paul says, you're throwing this all away. He's saying to this church, you can't lose the gospel. Harvest, we can't lose the gospel. 
It's the heart of everything we do as a church. This is a gospel-driven place. Why do we worship together? Why do we serve? Why do we give? Why do we do life together? It's because God has transformed us through the gospel. And so we can lose everything else because we know that we'll never lose Jesus. But if we lose the gospel, all this ministry doesn't matter at all. As Paul says, it's all in vain. It's all a waste. Now, we can look at this letter, and especially this part here that we're in, and we go, wait a minute. Like those goofy Galatians, those, those silly Greeks, I would never follow after a Greek God. I would never give my life to that. Man, we are so much further along than they were. We're so much more advanced than they are. Man, I would never be enslaved to non-gods. Remember, though, Paul says, wait a minute, wait a minute, not just those Greek gods, the religious traditions, those Jewish traditions. You go, wait a minute, I love bacon too much. I'm not going there either. I'm not going to be trapped in this. And we can miss what Scripture is saying to us here in this passage. Paul's giving us a contrast this morning. And he's saying this, listen, there are two options that you have. You worship God or you worship something else or someone else. The only alternative to the gospel is idolatry. Because everyone in this room, God created all of us as worshipers. Every one of us is worshiping someone or something. The question is, who are you worshiping? I mean, if you think about it this, this way, think about the Ten Commandments. God lays out, hey, hey, here's what it's like to live life. Here's a life that's pleasing to me. And God goes, oh, let me boil it down to just ten things. The first two are about worship. The first two are about idolatry. Number one, you have no other gods before me. Number two, no graven images. So you say, well, God, I, I want to know, what is it like, what, what does it mean for me to live in joy and hope and peace? And the first thing God talks about is idolatry, is worshiping things other than him. Now, why would he start there? Because, listen, our actions, how we live out our lives, it's always the fruit of our hearts. It always comes out of where our thoughts and our attitudes come from. The way we worship will determine how we live. And so if you fail, if you fall in commandments 3 to 10, it's because you've missed commandments 1 to 2. The reason for anything we do wrong, the reason for any flaw or brokenness in our lives, it's always idolatry. When you fail to live like Jesus... When we fail to, to live out the gospel, when, when I fail to be honest or loving or generous or holy, why is that happening in my life? Why, why would we lie? Why would we have lives full of anxiety and fear and worried? Why would we be bored or apathetic of the things of the Lord? Why would we not be generous? Why would we be angry? Now we can answer, go, well, I know why, because I'm a sinner. Because I'm weak, because I'm flawed. And yes, that is true. We are sinners, yes. But we can say it almost as an excuse, can't we? Well, of course I'm like that. It's just sin. Or you can say it in a way of despair. Well, I have no hope because of the sin in my life. What can I do about my sin? But what Scripture points to overwhelmingly, when we fail in love, when we fail in honesty, when we fail in generosity, in peace and kindness, when we fail to forgive, it's because something is an idol in our hearts. 
If you find yourself far from Jesus, you find yourself going down a path where, man, anger has gripped my heart, fear has gotten a hold of me, there's, there's broken relationships I can't get beyond, I can't give forgiveness, I'm just stuck in immorality, I'm so bored with my faith, I don't want to go to church or anything to do with it, I don't want to read my Bible anymore. The question we always need to ask is this, what am I worshiping instead of God? The question we need to ask is this, what's taken my attention and my worship? What is it that you find in your life, this is absolutely necessary for me to live? If I'm gonna have joy and hope and peace, I need this thing. And so rather than just white knuckling in our way, just trying harder, striving more, I'm gonna get rid of this sin, I'm gonna do better. Instead of just trying, always trying to figure out why am I living this way? Why am I not doing this? The question we need to ask is what idol has grabbed a hold of my heart? What have I let take place in my heart that should only be reserved for God? What is it in my life that I believe is essential for me, that I depend on it? I, I give it time and attention and energy and money and my thoughts. And, and understand something, Paul's not ripping on sin. Idols aren't always bad things. A lot of times idols are good things that we make the best things. We make the ultimate things. We make them things that we must have. And it's that, that desire for something good has grown into more than just a desire for the good. It's become a desperate need. It's where I, I need to have control. I need to achieve. I, 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 I need approval. I need comfort. I, I need to be sexually gratified. I need acceptance. I need respect. I need fame. I need my family to be much better. I need my prodigal to come home. I need my spouse to be a better spouse. I need to be in a different place. I need better health. I need a different body type. All these things that we grab a hold of, they become idols and we say, if I have this, I will have joy. If you take it away from me, I will be in despair. So if this morning you find yourself trapped in sin, the question to ask is, where is that idol? Maybe you're here this morning, man, I'm so bitter. I'm so mad at my spouse, or I'm so mad at my parents, or I'm so mad at my church, I'm so mad at my friends. They hurt me so deeply, and I can't get past it. Listen, the reason for the bitterness is not so much the hurt. Even with what the person did to you was wrong, it's that an idol was taken away from you. An idol was lost. And maybe you're struggling to forgive somebody. Or maybe you're struggling even to forgive yourself. I can't forgive these past failures and you're struggling. Maybe you're struggling with commandments three to 10. Listen, it's about commandment one and two. So my question for us this morning is, what does this look like for you this morning? Can you look beneath the sin? Can you look beneath what's going on in the actions to see what is it that's driving me to that? What is it that's causing me to, to live out my life this way in my marriage, in my family, to my parents, in my workplace? What's, this, what's causing me to live out this way? What's beneath it that I'm striving for that I already have in Christ? What we need to do is take our idols and put them in their proper place. We need to take away their power. We need to actually be saying, man, I don't actually need that. And Paul says to these Christians here 
And you guys used to pursue sin full speed ahead. Now you're pursuing religious activity full speed. You're striving to earn God's favor, and it's the same place. You're being enslaved to idols either way. In fact, in verse 20, he says, I wish I could be present with you now and change my tone. He goes, I'm perplexed about you. Because I don't get what you're doing. You've replaced one idol with another idol when you've been given everything in Christ. It doesn't make sense. So the question this morning then is this. How do I live my life so I don't go back into slavery? What's my hope for moving forward? How do I deal with these idols in my heart? I got three things as we close. First is this. Get back to the gospel. Get back to the gospel. Ask yourself, what is it that I'm trusting in? I mean, did you believe that you're an adopted child of the Most High God? If you know Christ, you put your faith in Christ, do you understand that, that the truth that God has had this rescue mission where he's pursued you, chose you, changed you? Do you believe that God acts towards you as, as he would towards his son, Jesus Christ, because you now have his righteousness? Or are you living like a slave? You're scratching and clawing and whatever you can to get. I need this more. If I want God to accept me, if I want hope, maybe the other side of that, you're so lost in apathy because you've lost the gospel. What is your hope for life? Paul's saying the, the life changer for us is this. God knows you. God loves you. God chose you. In fact, verse 17 and 18, he, he, he kind of gives the, the opposite of what happens when, when you're falling after the gospel. Verse 17, he says, they made much of you. Talking about the teachers that came in to drive them away from Christ towards religion. He says, they make much of you, but for no good purpose. They want to shut you out that you make much of them. It's always good to be made much of for a good purpose. He's saying this, he's saying, listen, listen, they came in and yeah, they, they're trying to draw attention to themselves, but they did it because their idol, their idol was, I need the attention, I need to be powerful, I need to be known. And Paul says, yeah, I came and I strove as well. I wanted you to hear my message, but I wanted you to hear Jesus. Because what, what do idols do? Idols make us strive for approval. And these false teachers looking for acceptance, and, and Paul, he wanted to be heard as well, but to point to their Jesus. In fact, I love how Paul says in 1 Corinthians 4, he goes, listen, I don't care what anybody thinks. I don't even care what I think about myself, Paul says. He says, no one's going to judge me. I won't even judge myself. Why would he say that? Because he knows the gospel. He says, God judges me. Nobody else does. I don't even judge my own self. And how did God judge us? While we were his enemies, Christ died for us. These idols make you a slave to everybody's opinions. You're a slave to approval, to popularity, to acceptance. Your, your life goes up and down based on how those things are met. And so I'm going I'm to work harder at my job because I want to be accepted there. I'm going to do this. I'm going to do that. Why? Because I'm trying. And listen, you become a slave to opinions, either the opinions of those around you or your own opinions coming up from your heart. And Paul's saying in the gospel, all of those opinions mean nothing. All that matters is that God knows me, and in Christ, God loves me. All of a sudden, now your life isn't so up and down depending on your circumstances because you know that God has said, I'll never leave you or forsake you. 
And we can, we can work really hard at, at telling our idols, hey, hey, you're good. You, you might be good, but you're not my ultimate because I know the gospel. But here's the second part. It, it's only going to work when you can say to an idol, I, I don't need you because I have Jesus. So get back to the gospel. Here's the second thing. Know Jesus. Know Jesus. You need to experience Jesus. You need to experience his love, his beauty, his power. That God gave his son, that his rescue mission has started since before eternity, that you might know him so you could experience his love. So that you would know Christ enough that you could say to anything else around you, I don't actually need you because all I have is in Christ. So you could be that person who, who when, when tragedy strikes, and people look in on your life, you've seen this kind of person, you're like, man, man, your health is failing, but you're still worshiping and praising. And you can say, yeah, it's because I still have Jesus. He's all I need. Get to know Jesus. Spend time in prayer, not for the check mark, because you want to talk to your father. Spend time in the word, not for some religious thing, but because you want to know Jesus more. Get together in worship like this, not because you've got to do your every Sunday checklist, because you want to worship with other believers, because you want to know Jesus more. Get to know Jesus. And here's the third thing. How do we do is How do we stop from going back we need to experience God's family. Experience God's family. Verse 12, he says, Brothers and sisters, I, I entreat you, become as I am, for I also have become as you are. If you, if you think about what, what an amazing picture of church life that is. There's two parts. There's the, hey, I'm going to be like you and you follow me. Paul's saying, I, I'm going to get into your mess and I'm going to point you to hope. That's church, isn't it? Or listen, I jumped into your mess. I'm not going to just stand on the outside while you suffer. No, I'm going to jump right into this mess. And, and then as I jump in, I'm going to say, hey, why don't you follow me out of this mess? And I want to point you to Jesus. Listen, we need both in the church. You can't do one without the other. First, we need to enter into the mess. Paul goes on in verse 12. He says, you, you did me no wrong. You knew it was because of a bodily ailment that I preached the gospel to you at first. And though my condition was a trial to you, you didn't scorn or despise me, but you received me as an angel of God, as, Je as Christ Jesus. What then has become of the blessing you felt? For I testify to you that if possible, you would have gouged out your eyes and given them to me. We see here Paul and the church both entering into a mess together. Paul was sick, and because he was sick, he landed in Galatia. And they were not sure what sickness he had, but when he arrived, he said, you didn't despise me. So Paul was gross sick, all right? Like, they're like, oh, man, get away. No, they embraced him, welcomed him, and they loved on him. They loved him so much that Paul says, man, you would have gouged out your own eyes if I needed eyes. Now, some say, that, did, did Paul have malaria where it affected his eyesight? People have asked that. Maybe, or maybe it was just a saying, sort of like, man, I would give you my right arm. That's what Paul's saying. That's how much you loved me. And Paul, even though he's sick, he's like, let's get into the sin. Let's get into your lives. Let's, let's, let's do gospel together. And here they are in the mess with Paul, Paul in the mess with them, and there was joy. Did you catch that? He says, what happened to your blessing? And you guys had joy in that. Paul jumps in, didn't shy away from their sin, jumped in. He, he didn't preach from some ivory tower yelling at them. He said, I became as you are. I lived with you, Paul says. 
We had what we call here at Harvest, we had uncommon community where the gospel was everything. Everything else is secondary, man. We can disagree about a lot of things because of the gospel, and we can come together in community. And here's the thing, though. Paul didn't just stay there. That's only the, the first part of what it is to do community together, to experience God's family. You get into the mess with people, but you don't just stay there. You don't jump in and not point anybody anywhere. Well, I just want to be a good listener. I don't want to judge him. I'm just going to be a good, I'm just going to be the person who just comes alongside. It's like a lifeguard jumping into the water going, now we're in it together. Uh, no, I would like to get out of here, right? It's got to be more than just getting into the mess. We don't just jump out to hang out there. No, what are we doing? We're pointing people to where there's joy and life change and hope in Jesus Christ. You're directing people to life and hope. So the first part, we enter into the mess. Secondly, point others to hope. Paul said it this way, become like me. He said, listen, I'm not going to let you stay how you are. I'm, I'm going to press you to change. I'm going to call you to change. I'm going to urge you to move to something greater than where you're at. And to do that might be painful at times. Look at verse 16. Have I then become your enemy by telling you the truth? So when, you, when you begin to point people to the hope of Christ, you're going to need to say some things that might hurt sometimes. You might say things that people don't like to hear. But remember, you're, you're not doing it from the shore, pointing at the person drowned. No, you've jumped into the mess with them. So, so with humility, with grace, with love, you're in the midst, but then you're pointing them to, to where there's hope. Notice Paul says, he says, become like me. Wow, right? Like in our culture, that's not something you would hear a lot, right? We think, man, that's pretty prideful. Paul, maybe you should have said, hey, we're in this together, or hey, I'm struggling just like you are. But Paul actually says, follow me, be like me. He, he's in the mire with him. He's loving, he's humble, he's caring, and he says, live like me. How do we get to a place? Maybe you're sitting there going, man, I want to be Paul like that. I, I want to lead people to hope like that. How do I get to that place where I can say, follow me? Here it is. Live out the gospel. Know who you are in Christ and continually drop the idols that are revealed and just pursue Jesus. Listen, as we close this morning, as the worship team comes up, this kind of, of moving towards Christ, this kind of living in the gospel can only be done in community. You need people who are ahead of you, who are pointing you to Jesus. You need to have people that you've jumped in with where you're pointing them to Jesus. Real church only happens when we're all contributing. So when you come to church on a Sunday morning, do you come thinking, what's Kai got for me this morning? Hey, well, what's the worship team going to bring? I hope they bring some good songs for me this morning. Or, or do you come to church with this mindset? God, what do you have for me to give away this morning? Lord, Lord, who do I need to come alongside of this morning? Maybe in your small group, you're coming to your small group and you're praying that prayer. Lord, what have you poured into me that I can give away today? Because that's church. 
And that kind of ministry, that kind of ministry only happens in community. It's why we're so fired up about small groups, because we want to get in the mess together and point, pe- point each other to a hope we have in Christ. It's why biblical soul care is not like, hey, go get counseling out there and do your thing out there. No. And biblical soul care, when you come broken in need of care, we're going to continually point you back to where Jesus promises there's hope in life in the community that he's created called the church. We're going to continually be pressing in to, hey, let's do this together. When we cry out for help in life, when we cry out for help in marriage, when we cry out for help in temptation, in hurts, in despair, God says, that's why I gave you the church. Be the body. In church community, there, there's this, this community of protection and love and care, and I, I know there's so many here who could shout out an amen because you've experienced it just this morning talking to someone in tears who said, my small group's just been loving on us in a time that's been so difficult. There are many here who can say, listen, we've been through tough times and we needed protection and care and we got it because we were a part of this uncommon community. Now, what's that look like for us to live this out? We want to live out the body of Christ. In 1 Corinthians, it says that we each have spiritual gifts. Each one of us has has a part of the body of Christ. Jesus had all of them. We don't get all of them. We each get parts of them. So when we come together, these gifts make us into the body of Christ. So if if you say, I don't need church, I'm going to stay out out here on my own, you, you maybe get the elbow of Jesus, and that's it. If you want to experience Christ, we experience him in community as each one of us are using our gifts in community. But, but as we do it, what's it going to look Is this going to be easy to do? Look what Paul says in verse 19. He says, My little children for whom I am again in the anguish of childbirth until Christ is formed in you. I mean, Paul chooses the most, the most painful, excruciating, hardworking thing you think you're going to be. It's like giving birth. Living a gospel in community, it's not easy. Not, not just jumping into the mess, but listen, because that's not just helpful to jump in there. It's, it's not good to stand on the sidelines and scream at people. That's legalism. But when you jump in to each other's lives and we walk together towards hope and truth in Christ, it's painful. Just like childbirth, it's going to take so much effort to do this. And just like childbirth, as you enter into Christian community, you enter into this and seeking to be a gospel change agent in people's lives, you're going to give your heart away like a mom would give her heart to a child. My prayer is this. May we live out the gospel here in this community, in this family. You could find people who are, who are uh, above you, who are, who are a little further along in this journey of the gospel, and they can say, follow me. They can speak truth into your heart, and then as you grow, you'll be able to lead others as well. It begins with the gospel. It begins with seeing our desperate need for Christ, seeing that Christ died for you, And when you know that Jesus has literally died for you, you can die those little deaths to all those idols. And we can minister together, pointing each other to Christ. Would you stand with me as I close in prayer? Lord Jesus, I 
I pray that even in this moment, that you'd be at work revealing our hearts. Lord God, in those places where we, we cling so tightly to idols, God, would you show them to us and then give us by your grace the power to release them. Lord, bring others alongside us. Lord, may we be open enough. May this be such a gospel-soaked church that, that it's safe to say, here's what I'm clinging to. I need your help. We come alongside each other and be the body of Christ. We point each other to you, Lord Jesus, to where our hope is. We need you, Jesus. And our sin, the idols can be so strong, we know your grace is stronger. We need you today, Lord Jesus. You are our hope and you are our life. I pray this in Jesus' name, amen.